the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There seems to be some buyer's remorse. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't know anybody who owns an electric vehicle unless the internal combustion engine is outlawed uh, before I die. I'm never going to own one. We talked about this on the show yesterday. It had all the numbers on how the cold weather kills the batteries, reduces the range, and just a nightmare for people. Uh, and there are probably a lot of people out there who bought an EV recently and are experiencing their first winter with it. Gets pretty cold in Chicago in the winter, maybe you've heard. And EV owners there are getting killed. Listen to this report from WGN. It's causing headaches for Tesla drivers. Some worried their batteries will run out before they can charge them because of long lines. WGN's Dana Revit gets some expert advice to keep things running smoothly. There are 20 superchargers at this station off Tui and Skokie, and they have all been full all day long with people waiting in line to charge up. In this brutal cold, batteries are taking much longer to do that, and they are draining much faster. At the Tesla supercharging station in Skokie, one driver grateful to finally be here. I saw that my battery's getting low. It was about 20, 25%. I went out to the uh, uh, the gas station that was there. I saw that there was a long line. West France then drove to the fashion outlet station in Rosemont, but it wasn't in service. And by that time, my battery drained down to 5%, which was faster than normal. Long story short, here I am. We had to tow it out this way. The sub-zero temperature is taking a toll on the electric batteries. This Uber driver frustrated. It's horrible. Um, it takes two hours the wait, you might wait an hour, it takes two hours to charge, then the charge leaves really quickly. So now you're back at the charger twice a day, so it's actually horrible. And we cut that short. There's um, It goes on with several more EV owners saying similar things there about how the bad weather is killing them. And it's one thing for these people finding out on their own, you know, that maybe owning an EV in places where it snows isn't a really good idea, but Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg are out there uh, promising everybody that fossil fuels are going to be gone. And they're using our money to sub- subsidize the companies who are making these lemons. And the companies are beginning to say they don't want to ha- have to sell them anymore. Well, the Republicans really should make a, an ad that shows EV owners like the ones in this piece in Chicago complaining about how bad they are in cold weather, and then edit those comments together with Joe and Pete and Kamala, who loves electric school buses, by the way, uh, having them saying electric is the way to go and uh, fossil fuels have to be eliminated. It should be an issue in the campaign, and it should be a killer for them, by the way, for the, de- for the Republicans. should knock the Democrats out. Anyway, when we come back, what's going on at the Texas-Mexico Mex- Texas, border? The state is telling the federal government to get lost. And where's that headed? We'll talk to our unofficial Texas correspondent, Matt Makoviak, about that. 
And in our second half hour, we're going to talk to John Lott, who wrote a book called More Guns, Less Crime. And we're going to talk to him about the decrease in murders in Ohio since they passed the concealed carry law. Stick around. So um, what's going on down there on the Texas border? Uh, we know a lot of people who shouldn't be coming across are coming across, and it's been going on for a long time. But the governor, Greg Abbott, apparently had seen enough and decided to take matters into his own hands. Matt Makoviak is the chairman of the Travis County, Texas Republicans, uh, Republican Party, and a political consultant and a pundit, and he's our official, unofficial Texas correspondent. He joins us now. Matt, haven't talked to you for a while. Good to have you back. Great to be back, John. How are you? Good, good. So um, what's going on at uh, Shelby Park in Eagle Pass right now? Yeah, so this is an area that's been an area of focus. And the reason for that is um, there's been different battles that have gone on there locally. Eagle Pass is a town of about, I don't know, eight or 10,000 people. It's not a significant, you know, large city in any, in any way. Um, but it is a place that is just being overrun at a level that is almost unimaginable. Um, I mean, they'll have days where they have 1,000 people uh, enter, right? Um, so it's, it's just pushing that, that city to its brink, to, to the absolute limit of what it can possibly handle. Um, and there's been a bunch of fighting over this particular park. In fact, I think the, the mayor of, El Paso, of Eagle Pass at one time uh, attempted to shut it down entirely, and then there was a lawsuit involved, I think. In the end, what's happened in the last few days, John, the reason this is a national story, is the governor has basically barred uh, federal officials from having access to it. It's, it was an area that they were basically using as a staging ground and then releasing illegal immigrants into the, into the country uh, on, the, on, on the basis that they've been given a court date nine years from now, and maybe they'll come back because they're claiming asylum. And so the governor has basically said, enough, this is a charade. Um, it's leading to an invasion, although he hasn't really to- technically used that word. That's effectively what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not going to make our efforts with river buoys and razor wire and billions spent and DPS troopers sent down to the border and building border wall on private land and have the federal government undermine us, you know, on Texas land. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, there are Democrats in Congress that are calling for Biden to federalize the Texas State Guard. I mean, this is going to get into like 1960s uh, type type of you know nightmare scenarios, depending how far it goes. I hope it doesn't get to that. It shouldn't. Um, presumably, cooler heads will prevail, and it'll get to a point where uh, they're looking at you know this is going to be in the courts, and the courts are going to have to referee this. But it, it's an interesting legal argument because on the one hand, immigration is the is the is in the jurisdiction of the federal government, and I forget what the, uh, the what the amount is. It's something like you know 30 miles. Uh, from the border all inland is something like fe- fe- technically federal territory with federal jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the federal government is, is literally not just not enforcing federal law, but is in fact harming states that are on the other side of that barrier. Where, you know, what responsibility and what opportunity does, does a state have to protect its own citizens and its own rights? And so I don't know enough about the legalities of it, but this is obviously going to get resolved by the Supreme Court over time. These, these, these matters are going forward. They're already challenging them over the, the um, concertina wire which the feds cut after the state put it in there. They're challenging them over the river buoys. You know, there's, there, there's a lot. I mean, the, the Biden administration is fighting every single effort Texas is, ta- Texas is taking to secure the border. And that, that, that answers the question as to whether they want a secure border or not. They wouldn't be fighting Texas in every single possible way if they wanted a secure border. So 
this is a, a battle like anything I've ever seen. Um, the governor is, of Texas is, is incredibly committed to this, um, believes in it deeply, uh, believes it's important, and is, is going to fight this to the very end. And he has a lot of support in Texas for that and around the country. Yeah, th- this is what's driving me crazy, Matt. I, being way up here in Pittsburgh, um, and I see things pop up in the media, and I know that Fox is covering it, and I see the amazing pictures of ridiculous numbers yeah. of people coming across the border. But I don't know what the media, I don't know if the rest of the media is ignoring it or if they are uh, uh, telling the story from the federal perspective and saying that, you know, Texas bad, federal government good. What's the, what's the media and local <clears throat> reaction in Texas right now? Good question. Um, look, a lot of this is seen through partisan, a partisan lens in terms of people, right? I think hardcore Democrats don't really have a huge problem with what's going on and, th- and basically give Biden the benefit of the doubt. Hardcore Republicans think it's a disaster and want every step taken. The question is, are the people, how do the people in the middle, the swing voters, the independent voters, the people that decide elections in battleground states and battleground counties, how do they view this? And it's my strong sense that they believe what's happening is, is terrible for the country and, and indefensible. Um, you can be compassionate. You can believe these people are seeking a better life. You can even believe diversity is our strength. You can believe all those things and still believe we should have control, operational control of our southern border and be able to say who comes in and who doesn't. And this, this conceit that these people have a court hearing nine, nine years from now and they're going to show up is, is so ridiculous. I can't imagine there's even 15% of the people, the voters, that would support that. So what's amazing is this has given Trump a gift. I mean, it is an absolute gift. What it's done is it's given him an issue where he is now clearly on the majority side of a major issue. Mm-hmm. And Biden, in, in some ways, is in a bad position because if he does anything to move towards the middle, he's going to piss off progressives. He's going to piss off his Democratic members in Congress. He's going to piss off these groups. It's smart politically, I think, for him to come to the middle, which is why you're, trying to, why you're seeing this bipartisan deal come together in the Senate. I don't think it can pass the House. If it passes the Senate this week or next, I think the House will take it up, change it, and they won't get a deal because the House is going to want a Trump-style plan with, with you know, uh, re- return to Mexico back, with ending catch and release back, with more border wall, with reforming asylum. I mean, a serious plan would actually work. Um, so there's distance there. Uh, Biden clearly feels on defense on the issue, which is why he's bringing people in and trying to negotiate. And offer- but to your question about the media, look, I think the national media is covering this more than they were six months ago when they were pretending it wasn't an issue. Um, but, but only Fox and some conservative and independent outlets are the ones that are truly covering how absolutely overwhelming it is down there, what's actually happening, how it's affecting people and communities. Um, so it's hard for me to know broadly how people are, are taking it. I can tell you in Texas what Abbott's doing is popular. There's 30% probably that are hardcore Dems that are mad at him about it and hate it. But I think there's 60 or 65 or 70% that support what he's doing. And I'm just telling you, he is doing everything I can think of that he could do. The only thing he hasn't done and it's mostly because he doesn't think it's constitutional, although this is, I think, a day-to-day calculation, is a question of whether you can literally declare an invasion and use, use that. There's a provision, I think, in the state constitution, which basically says if you declare an invasion, you basically kind of overtake the feds, and mm-hmm. the federal territory effectively becomes state territory. I think he's concerned if he does that, not only is it controversial, but, it, but that it probably won't hold up. But at some point, I mean, if they're literally going in and cutting your concertina wire, removing river buoys, and releasing people, at some point, I mean, it, it meets the definition of an invasion, right? Um, right? So I think he's constantly, you know, assessing. Look, he's a former Supreme Court judge in Texas, former attorney general. He's a very serious legal mind. 
He doesn't do things he doesn't think are constitutionally sound, even if they may be politically wise or politically helpful. So he, he's being thoughtful about it. And he's been getting pushed by people like Ken Cuccinelli, who was a Deputy Homeland Security Secretary uh, in the uh, Trump administration, to take this invasion step for some time. So he may eventually get there, and it may be sooner than later. But, I mean, I've just never seen this one state in the feds fight on a bigger issue um, kind of with greater intensity and urgency than what I've seen over the last three or four days. I mean, we are literally at a point where Biden could announce in the next 24 hours he's federalizing the Texas Guard. And then and what then happens? The question becomes, I, it's, I mean, John, we're, we're in uncharted, almost uncharted territory for 50 years, and you could start to see some absolutely horrific scenarios that I, I would hope wouldn't come, come out. But the question would be, does the Guard follow? Do some follow? You know, do they stick with the state? I can tell you, state, state personnel want to secure the border and support what the governor's doing, broadly speaking. And I think, actually, I, I know a few border patrol agents on the, on the southern border, they're not thrilled with the Biden position. They're not able to do their job. They're being put at greater risk. They're in gunfights. They're, they're being targeted. I mean, it's, it, is a, it, is, it is hanging by a thread at the moment, and it's an absolute miracle we haven't had a terrorist attack or something really horrendous come in. We know there's something like 100 terrorists on the terrorist watch list that have come in mm-hmm. just, since, just since Biden's been in office and maybe even in the last year. So, I mean, you know, this is a ticking time bomb. Why Biden would allow it to continue in terms of the political liability that it presents for him and his party is beyond belief. They've already got the two or three or four million people in since he's been in office. They presume those are going to be Democratic voters in the future. So they got that value out of it. At this point, he can pivot and say, look, we tried it. I did my best. I'm going to be reasonable. I'm going to try to cut a deal with Republicans. You know, he's going to have to do something that says it's not Trump's policy. It's more reasonable. It's more mainstream. But the the Republicans in the House have the upper hand here because what Biden is is putting on the table in the Senate is not a serious plan and it will not solve the problem. And the House Republicans have the upper hand. They should not take a bad deal. They should take a deal that would solve the problem. Right. When you're winning, you keep pressing. When you have an advantage and leverage, you keep pressing. You don't you don't um, cut a deal when you're winning. Right. Right. It's up to the loser to cut the deal when they're losing. So. You know, I think the House Republicans are going to stick strong. Um, Trump you know, has basically said, don't cut a deal. Don't do the Senate deal's bad. You're going to get a better deal when I'm president. I'm actually not sure that's correct. He will clearly do more with, through executive orders, through his, his own actions. I don't know that he'll get a better legislative deal. But, you know, a lot of – look, it's not legislation that's created this mess. It's Biden's executive orders. It's pulling back Trump's executive orders and putting his own in there. So if that created the mess, then Trump can, can clean up the mess. Yeah. Right. So I don't even know that a legislative deal is necessary. It's only necessary now because Biden won't do the right thing. Well, so, let, let yeah. me ask you, I, um, you mentioned they're, they're, they, the, um, the Border Patrol guys are cutting the barbed wire and standing back and letting the illegal immigrants yes. come through. Wh- yes. what, what's the defense for that? Has they, who, who's, who says that's okay? Yeah, good question. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that's a directive that's come from the Department of Homeland Security, the agency for which those those individuals. Yeah, but work. has anybody said to them why? I mean, I see this. I think, what what is this? This is you don't have to have anybody say anything. Just show me the picture of these sure. border patrol cutting well, it's the clearly happening. There, there's no doubt it's happening. So somebody <laughs> somebody has to have been asked about it at some point. Hey, what? Have these people is this is this against the rules? Uh, do they do these people get disciplined, reprimanded for doing that, or is it okay? So this is what the this is what the legal challenge will be about. It about who ha, who has the right to to control that territory, and and I and I don't know constitutionally who has the stronger hand. It might be the feds because technically it's federal territory, right? And so if a state puts you know if a state if a state went to you know if 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 the Commonwealth of Virginia went to the White House and said you know what we're going to move the fence that that uh, surrounds the White House ten feet back, or ten feet forward, 
right? right. The Commonwealth of Virginia would lose because it's federal territory. The White House is federal territory. The entire District of Columbia is federal territory. It's mm-hmm. not to Virginia or, or Washington right. or, or, or Maryland. Um, this is kind of like that, where, you know, this, I forget what it is, it's 15 miles or 30 miles, whatever it is inland is considered federal territory. And so technically the feds have responsibility. Of course, it gets again to this question, you know, if they're harming the state and the state is being affected by it, then does that change who has responsibility for it? So I, I think their, I think their legal defense is going to be, we have the federal responsibility. We're not doing concertina wire. We're not doing river buoys. The state's doing it, and they're doing it on federal territory, and they don't have the ability to do that. I think that's going to be their legal case. Yeah, that but political case is horrendous, and that operational yeah, case is obviously horrendous. Yeah, that's what I mean. What, at what point do you say, yeah, well, we saw the barbed wire, uh, the razor wire. We thought it would be a good idea to cut it and then just let them walk through. We thought that was better than having razor wire. Like, like that's the solution. Yeah. I, it's just it's insanity to me. I, I don't know how it's, it is. it's lasted this long. So is it is it? Uh, you mentioned a couple of times going back 50, 60 years. Are you talking yeah. about uh, civil rights and and, uh, and Alabama and Mississippi? Yeah. That's what we're looking yeah. at, uh, where there's going to be it, a confrontation. It is, and I didn't want to say it because it's, it's so unpleasant to think about, right? Yeah. And obviously that's a different context that had to do with, you know, civil rights, racial integration yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, the governor of Alabama, George Wallace, and stuff like that. And I'm not comparing that to this because they're different. Mm-hmm. But there is a similarity there as well to some extent, in the sense of federalizing a state force, having a very controversial issue, not having a clear, um, a clear resolution, and the potential that there could be resistance, violence, political disagreement, you know, God knows what, as a consequence of it. I mean, I really think, I, I'm, not, I'm not being hyperbolic here, I really think we're in uncharted territory in the next few days or a few weeks, it could get to that point. My hope is it wouldn't. My hope is there can be some type of accommodation, or maybe both sides just say, fine, we'll go fight in court. And that's probably where it will end up. But I don't know. I mean, if he were to federalize that force, what happens next? Yeah, I mean, I, it is I, scary. I, I think uh, you live down in Texas, and you have some roots here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, I, I know, I mean, I, I'm not a Texan, so I can't say, but I just have this feeling that Texans feel a little bit different about states' rights and oh, yeah. being a Texan. You don't hear anybody say that, you know, I'm a good Pennsylvanian. But you might hear right. somebody say, I'm a good Texan, and I, you know yeah. what they mean by that. So what's the mentality there compared to people up here in Pittsburgh? You know, they watch this and they think it's insane, but they're not living it. No, that's right. It, it, look, you know, Stein, John Steinbeck has a, has a quote that gets played. It used to get played at QT football games. Texas is a state of mind. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's, and that's true. And a lot of that goes back to sort of the frontier spirit, the independence, the Old West. It goes back to the fact that Texas was its own country at one time. Yep. There's an independent streak here, and there's sort of a healthy distrust of the federal government generally, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, that certainly plays into this. And, and I, think, I think most Texans believe that, that, the, that, that because we're a border state, we should have the ability to ensure that our state is safe uh, because we're a border state. And if the feds are working against it, they support a governor doing things to fight for our rights. Now, does everyone think he's doing everything correct? You know, Benjamin Franklin said if two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. <laughs> so, it's, you know, who knows if everyone agrees on every single thing he's ever said or, or done. Yeah. He said this thing a, a week ago about how, you know, uh, we're doing everything we can on the border. And he, it was apparently a radio comedy said to Dana Lash. He said something like, you know, um, the reason we're not shooting the immigrants is because Biden would charge us with murder. <laughs> Obviously not a particularly smart statement, and he's yeah. a very, very careful person, so I was surprised yeah. he said it. Yeah. I don't know if it came off wrong or if he said it wrong or what. 
But that's a statement, obviously, that, that people aren't going to love. I mean, there's a small percentage of people that might have that kind of extreme view, but most people don't think anyone should shoot anyone mm-hmm. unless they're, I mean, unless they're literally like a, a threat to public safety in terms of carrying a weapon, right? But, right. but short, of, short of something like that, I think there's broad support for what he's doing, for fighting for our rights, for using tools like river buoys and, um, and concertina wire, for seizing this park, which is clearly being used as a way to undermine the, uh, excuse me, the operational integrity of the border. And I think he's going to keep going. I mean, I just... You know, he feels like he's on the right path. And honestly, the more mad they get and the more uh, hysterical that the feds get, the more he thinks he's heading in the right direction. Now, is there a limit to that? Are there risks to that? How does this play out going forward? I don't know. It's um, it's definitely uh, it's wild. It's unprecedented. And we're in we're in uncharted territory, as I said before. Well, I know uh, you're a very busy guy and I appreciate you taking time to talk to us. And I'm out of time. But I have had uh, that maniac on from down there who has a secession movement in Texas has been trying to get that on the ballot. And that's maybe a discussion for another day. But uh, yeah, that- it's not going to be on the ballot in March. They screwed up the petitions. They, they had like a third of them were online yeah. and you have to sign a paper because yeah. of state law. So it's not going to be on the primary ballot in March. They're going to apparently try again. You know, I don't even think you can secede. I haven't looked at the law on it. Yeah. I understand some of the the arguments behind it. I'm not a fan of that. I am a fan of Texas fighting for its rights and our governor standing up for our rights, and he's been doing that. He's going to keep doing it. Well, it'll be interesting to watch, and uh, thanks for clearing it up, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Take care. Okay, you too. That's Matt Makoviak, and he's the chairman of the Travis County, Texas Republican Party, and I didn't get a chance to ask him about Mike McCarthy, but uh, that's another story. I'll be right back. John Lott wrote a book called uh, More Guns, Less Crime, and I thought about him yesterday when I ran across a news story from NBC4 in Columbus. Uh, John, who's the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, is also the author of Gun Control Myths, and he joins us now. John, thanks for being on the show. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. So I want to play this clip for you. Uh, It's it's kind of self-explanatory, and I want to get you to respond to it. Are you okay with that? Sure. One of the issues that has plagued the cities across Ohio, including here in central Ohio, is gun violence. A new study just released is now unearthing if the Buckeye State's constitutional carry law impacted gun violence in cities. We thank you for joining us today for NBC4 at 5. I'm Jared Smalley. And I'm Jennifer Bullock. The study was published today by the Center for Justice Research through a partnership between Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost's office and Bowling Green State University. I remember back on June 13th, the state began allowing citizens to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. The study looked at gun violence in the state's eight largest cities. Six saw less gun crimes after the law changed. The data spans from June 2021 to June 2023. And one of those cities that saw a decrease was the city of Columbus. Before the law, the rate per 1,000 people of crimes was 10.79. It dropped to nearly 9.5%. Other cities that saw decreases are Cleveland, Toledo, Akron, Parma, and Canton. The cities that featured a jump are Cincinnati and Dayton. NBC4 spoke with Attorney General Dave Yost today, who says this proves those statements are not true. So I think this is worth watching as we go to the future to see if it remains the same. Um, But this is scientifically uh, a good piece of work um, and uh, it definitively says that constitutional carry did not create additional gun violence. 
The attorney general says this does not mean there is not a gun violence problem in the state. He says there absolutely is. However, he says the city and police leaders should be focusing on other ways to fix that problem. So, John, I'm guessing you're not surprised by any of that. No, I'm not surprised at all. It's a pattern we've seen in other states that have adopted constitutional carry. There are 27 states uh, now, including Ohio, that have constitutional carry. And there are a couple of things to point out. I mean, you can make it riskier for criminals to commit crimes with higher arrest rates, higher conviction rates, longer prison sentences. But you can also make it riskier for criminals to commit crime by allowing individuals to go and protect themselves. And the thing about constitutional carry is that it particularly helps the people who are the most likely victims of violent crime. If my research convinces me of anything, there's basically two groups of people who are the most likely victims of violent crime and who benefit the most from having guns. And that is people, basically poor blacks who live in high crime urban areas, and then also people who are relatively weaker physically, women and the elderly. When you move to constitutional carry, people are no longer having to pay the fees and other costs to be able to go and and get a permit uh, to carry. And so more of them are carrying. And so, you know, you can have a lot of people in a safe suburb carrying a concealed handgun. But if the crime is zero there to begin with, you're not going to see much of a change. You have to have the people carrying in the places where the crime is occurring. And with regard to women, if you're talking about things like stalking, you know, often you try to get a permit. You know, once you get to training, everything can be two months or three months, even in good states. In some places like Connecticut, it can be over a year to go and get your permit after you've applied. Even two months may be too long for a woman who's being uh, stalked or threatened in some way. She may need to start caring right away. And to go through the process there to go and get the permit can just make it impossible for her to be able to go and protect herself in a, in a timely manner. So, you know, over time, when, when states passed these right to carry laws to begin with, uh, they usually had high fees and other restrictions on it. And gradually over time, they liberalized it. And constitutional carry is really just a continuation of that trend that we've seen in other places. Now, um, I, I don't think, uh, maybe uh, I think you'll agree with me, I, I would not expect this story to get a lot of coverage in the national media. Because I think it's a pretty, well, it's any, a pretty interesting we'll story. Get coverage. Right. Won't we'll get any coverage. No. No, I mean, look, uh, we've, we've published peer-reviewed academic paper research on this topic. It doesn't get national news coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, you know, but I think over time, just the fact that you've seen so many states go and pass these types of laws and, and, you know, none of them have tried to reverse it after they've passed it, even when you've had changes in control for state legislatures and governorships and what have you. I think that goes and tells you. I mean, what you see happening, just like when states pass uh, right to carry laws to begin with, whether it was Pennsylvania or Ohio, what you'd see initially is before they passed all sorts of claims about bad things that were going to happen when people were allowed to carry after six months or a year, it became a non-issue because people realized that all the scare stories that they had there simply weren't true. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you're going to you see the same thing happening after states have moved to constitutional carry. You know, the irony is, you know, uh, Biden and others go and say we ought to go and adopt the same types of gun control laws that they have in California, for example, which has the strictest gun control laws in the country. And yet California has a rate of mass public shootings per capita uh, that's much higher than the average for the rest of the country. It's mm-hmm. much higher than the states that they'd like to demonize, like Texas or Florida. Mm-hmm. And there's a simple reason for that. And that is, you know, you go in Los Angeles. So last year in California, uh, they had a couple big mass public shootings in Los Angeles County. They had one big one up in San Mateo. In San Mateo, they had one concealed carry permit holder for every 24,000 adults. Wow. In Los Angeles, they have one concealed carry permit holder for every 5,600 adults. You know, Pennsylvania, 14% of the adult population has a concealed carry permit. If you go to a restaurant or a bar or, you know, a movie theater or a grocery store, it's very likely that somebody next to you is legally carrying a gun. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the permit holders in Pennsylvania are extremely law-abiding. In fact, you look nationwide, permit holders are convicted of firearms-related violations at about one-twelfth the rate that the police are convicted of firearms-related violations, and police are rarely convicted uh, of those types of things themselves. And so, you know, if you're... In the few attacks that we do see across the country uh, in terms of mass public shootings are occur in gun free zones. These guys may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. Their goal is to get media coverage and they know the more people they kill, the more media coverage that they're going to be able to get. And they know if they go to a place where victims aren't able to go and defend themselves, they're going to be able to go and kill more people and get more media coverage. I mean, the thing that drives me nuts about the national media, since you're talking about media bias, is time after time in their diaries and manifestos, these mass murderers explain why they pick the targets that they do. And yet you will look in vain to find any national news coverage on that. The media just refuses. You'd think that would be newsworthy. I want somebody to explain to me Give me a benign explanation for why the media just absolutely refuses to explain that these guys are explicitly talking about going after targets where they know their victims can't defend themselves. You look at the Covenant school shooting last year. We still haven't gotten the full diary released. Uh, The Biden administration has been holding on to it. But the Nashville police chief uh, was able to read through it. And right after the attack. He was out there saying that the killer's original target was going to be a mall, but decided not to go after that because people were carrying guns there. Yep. And so the person went after the school because they do. Uh, nobody would be there to stop them. You look at the Buffalo mass murder. It's getting huge amounts of attention. The same type of discussion in there. He explicitly talks about why he picked the target that he did. It has a long discussion in there, but yet. You know, the New York Times may have like seven editorials uh, where the Buffalo mass murder is like exhibit A, supposedly for right wing violence, even though the guy was a racist because he was an environmentalist and uh, 
you know, was upset that blacks were having too many kids by his measure. I'm sure, you know, lots of conservatives (laughs) that don't want people to have children. Yeah. I'm being facetious there. Well, I I thought of you in another story yesterday that I think was yesterday I saw it. Um, There's a, um, I don't know if he's been caught yet, but I, I think it was yesterday I saw the story that there's a serial stabber running around in New York. He's been stabbing people in, in the city, and uh, they're advising people you know, they're, they're to watch out for him. He stabbed right. seven or eight people. I don't think he's killed anybody yet, but you know, he's kind of annoying. He's going around stabbing people. But um, isn't a, isn't a, uh, is it illegal to carry a gun on a New York City subway? Oh, yeah. No, it definitely is. Well, I mean, New York... Not only is it illegal to carry it on public transportation, but they they passed a, a law uh, after the Bruin decision in 2022 that pretty much made it impossible to carry any place in the state. I mean, prior to that, you had been able to carry in a lot of different places there, but in California also has passed a law uh, this last September that just was supposed to go into effect uh, this month, but um, the appeals court there has uh, has uh, allowed an injunction to to be in place there because they say it's unconstitutional, which pretty much would have limited you to be able to just carry in your front yard. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's these guys. You know, take the the report that just came out today from the uh, Department of Justice on the Uvalde school. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. By, yeah which, by the way, was another gun-free zone. You know, mm-hmm. nationwide, you have 20 states that allow teachers and staff to be able to carry. It varies on the number of schools in different states. There's about 40% of the schools in Texas uh, allow armed teachers. But unfortunately, Uvalde was not one of them. And, uh, you know, you have to... So what's the response from Biden? The response is the, the police failed. And so the response is we have to disarm civilians. Yeah, that was And, uh, you know, they go through. He, the first thing he mentions there, we need to pass universal background checks. Well, I want somebody, I want somebody in the press to ask Biden, say, okay, this is your first response. Would it have stopped Duvalde? Would it have stopped any mass public shooting this century? Can you point to one? Assuming a law had, that law had been in place, It had been perfectly enforced. Tell me one place, one mass public shooting this century that would have been stopped. And they don't, nobody asks in the press that. That's amazing. You know, know, I, um, I worked in local TV news for a long time. I did sports, but I was, you know, I paid attention to what was going on in the news department. And uh, this always has stuck with me. There was a, uh, a story out there of the shady side rapist. It was a um, you know a serial rapist, and women were being raped in an area of the city called Shadyside here. And so they sent a reporter out to do a story on what women should do to protect themselves. Right. And I remember watching the story, and a good reporter, uh, I don't know where she is now, but she was a good reporter. She did a long story, and she had uh, people showing uh, methods of self-defense and saying, don't take the same uh, path home every night, right. and blah, blah, blah. You know what they never mentioned? Get a, gun. get a gun. Right. It never came yeah, no, up. I know. It's just absolutely, it, it's a, one of the other things that drives me nuts. So they tell you, completely change your life. Quit your job. Move. Move in with somebody else. If you go yeah. shopping, make sure somebody else is with you when yeah. you go shopping. 
uh, quit your job. If you get a new job someplace else, uh, take a different route to work every day, leave at a different time, completely uproot their lives uh, and presumably make it much worse than it was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, once in a while, they'll go and talk about getting self-defense classes where martial arts or something. Yeah. But if you're talking about a 200-pound guy going after a 130-pound woman, uh, you know, it's not like it is on TV where one woman beats up five guys yeah. that are there. Yeah. And, but, but you're right. I mean, by far, the safest course of action for women to take when they're confronted by a criminal is to have a gun. And, and you know, it's, you're talking about huge strength differences that exist between the man and the woman on average that's there. And, and yet they refuse to say it. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's political blinders that yeah. people have on it. If, what I will say is right now, uh, outside of places like California and New York, uh, you have about 30% of permit holders are women. You know, one of the ironies is the states that have required that you have to give a good reason, these seven so-called May issue states, uh, you know, Democrats who run the states, they claim that they care about women, they care, claim that they care about blacks they care, or minorities, they claim that they care about the poor, but they, don't, they won't give permits out to those people. I got the list of permits for uh, who got a permit in Los Angeles County from a few years ago. They'd given out 341 permits for an adult population of about uh, 8 million people. Yeah, I don't. And uh, only 7% of the permit holders were women. Only 5% were black. Only 6% were uh, Hispanic. You know, if basically, if you're a wealthy white male, uh Presume it seems like they thought they had good reasons to be able to go and protect themselves. And I'm glad wealthy, politically connected white males who were giving large donations to the sheriff's reelection campaign were able to go and get permits. But they're not the ones who are the most likely victims. You know, is it somebody going to go and argue that in Los Angeles County women aren't being stalked or threatened? Yeah. They're going to argue that blacks or Hispanics in Los Angeles County don't have crimes committed against them like they do in the rest of the country. In the rest of the country, uh, 13% of permit holders are black. Hey, hey, um, you know, it's just, hey, hey John, I'm out of time, um, and I want people to check out your piece today on the mass shooting and the numbers that you came up with for that and the myth that's out there about that. They can find that at Real Cure, realclearpolicy.com. It's always good to have you well, on the show. You can find it on our website at crimeresearch.org. It's probably maybe easier, along with all the other stuff that okay. we're talking about. Crime it. Research. Crimeresearch.org. Okay. Crimeresearch.org. Hey, hey, John, always good to have you on. Hope to have you on again soon. Thanks. Hey, thanks very much. Okay. That's John Lott, and uh, he's the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. We'll be right back. Well, I, I'm glad I had John Lott on. I don't get a whole lot of time to say anything when he's on. He's, uh, I love having him on because all you got to do is push a button and he goes. But I had hoped to, um, maybe cover some of the numbers in the, in the, uh, in the story he wrote, uh, where I saw it, which was at uh, realclearpolicy.com. Uh, 
but uh, he had some uh, numbers in there. He may have run through some of them, and I just want to go back and cover them up or cover them just in case uh, you missed them because I think it's important stuff here. Um, since 1998, there have been never been more than eight mass shootings in a public place not involving another crime in a year. These are referred to as mass public shootings. The annual average has been 3.9 attacks, 33.1 murders in a country of 350 million, whatever it is. But what he points out is that the media like to give the impression that attacks with assault rifles are pervasive, but only 17% of attacks involve any type of rifle. 53% of the attacks involve only handguns. And then he says, who's using the assault rifles? According to Biden, it's white supremacists. Uh, but Biden overlooks the fact that the El Paso, and he mentioned this, the Buffalo mass murders, hated blacks because they were environmentalists and felt that blacks were causing overpopulation. Whites are not disproportionately committing these attacks. While non-Middle Eastern whites make up 55.3% of the population, they comprise 54.9% of mass shooters and 55.1% of victims. Blacks make up 13.6% of the population, but 16% of the attackers and only 9.9% of the victims. So uh, to say that it's a bunch of crazy white people out there running around with assault weapons killing people, it makes for a nice headline. It gets the media, the major national media will jump uh, on it and talk about it, but it's just not true. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.